You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today will be well known to many of you. Uh, Dr. Timothy George has been the dean of the Beeson Divinity School since its founding in 1988. Uh, he is widely known as a, a Christian teacher, as a writer, a prolific writer. Uh, he's been active in the Evangelical Roman Catholic Dialogue. He's chaired the Doctrine and Christian Unity Commission for the Baptist World Alliance, and he serves as a senior theological advisor for Christianity Today. Uh, he is well-schooled in the Reformation, uh, which has been one of his great interests in teaching and writing. And we are glad to have him. Welcome to Preaching Source. Thank you so much. Great to be at Southwestern and with you. Uh, thank you, Dr. George. Uh, uh, when we think of the Reformation, whether we're reading theology or history, uh, our attention comes to the five solas. And uh, for us uh, who are in the Baptist tradition, uh, for us, the sola scriptura uh, as a doctrinal concept is, is, is very important to us. How, how did the Reformers' understanding of Scripture uh, shape their preaching? It was a Bible-centered movement. The Reformation happened at a time in church history when many things were going on in the world. It was a time of transition, and so there were many, many uh, aspects of the Reformation, economic, social, political, all of that. But at the very heart of what the Reformers was about was a recovering of the truth of the Word of God in Holy Scripture. Now, they, of course, didn't invent the Bible. It had been around for a while, been read in a lot of different ways. But they felt that the Bible needed to be kind of dusted off, taken out of its uh, box, and allowed to shine. Now, this phrase, sola scriptura, we would translate by Scripture alone. It's a term that can be misunderstood. It does not mean that the only thing that we can read is the Bible or the only thing we should ever study are the 66 books of the canon. Uh, it does mean that the Bible has a priority over every other authority that we might have, whether it be the church or tradition or human opinion. The Bible is supreme. And so um, a person who used to teach at Southwestern Seminary, Dr. James Leo Garrett, a great scholar, uh, said sola scriptura really means suprema scriptura. And I like that way of putting it. And it impacted everything that happened in the Reformation. Oh, I love that, suprema scripture. <laughs> uh, those of us who, who study the history of, of preaching, uh, you, you can spot differences through the centuries in, in the form of the sermon and the mechanics of preaching. You, you look at a fourth century homily, and the form of the sermon doesn't look like a, a sermon in the Middle Ages. Uh, and then you come to the 16th century in the Reformation. How, uh, what, what were changes in the mechanics of, uh, and the form of the sermon that came about during the time of the Reformation? We sometimes tell the story of the Reformation as though uh, Luther and Calvin and the great reformers invented preaching. It's not true. As you say, there was preaching in the early church, of course, uh, preaching in the Middle Ages. In the preceding centuries leading up to the Reformation, preaching was, there was a revival of preaching largely led by mendicant monks, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, and much of that preaching took place out of doors. 
it was a kind of in the fields or in the town squares. People like Savonarola, for example, in Florence would preach in the city square and flocks of people would gather to hear him. Well, the Reformation, you might say, took the sermon from outdoors and brought it indoors. It made it a regular part of Christian worship. And not just a regular part, but in some ways the central focus of Christian worship was hearing, listening, and preaching the Word of God. That was different in the Reformation. That was one of the great advances, I would say, the Reformation. Now, there's a place for outdoor preaching. And later on, another great Protestant leader, John Wesley, would take the sermon back outdoors and do outdoor preaching. So it isn't a right or wrong thing, but it's how does preaching impact and, and focus the worship of God's people? Uh, who would you name, who would make your top list of, of the prominent preachers of the Reformation? We think of Luther and Calvin as, as the great, you know, great theologians, but who were the, the big preachers of the Reformation? Well, both of those people you mentioned were great preachers. They were also great theologians and, and great reformers in that much work was done for the gospel under their leadership. But first and foremost, they were preachers. Luther was a preacher before he became a reformer. And John Calvin took up preaching when he moved to Geneva and became a, a magnificent preacher. People, thousands of people would, would stream to hear him. Another figure that's sometimes in the sidelines is Huldreich Zwingli. He was the reformer of Zurich. And we have the record of a young man way up in the Alps named Thomas Platter who came to Zurich to hear him preach. And he said, when Zwingli was preaching, I felt like somebody had yanked me by the hair of the head and drew me out of my seat. He had that kind of impact on people. But it wasn't though only these great names because uh, preaching was the heart of the Reformation movement. Uh, evangelists, we would might say church planters today, people like Guillaume Farrell, uh, French-speaking Switzerland and France, went forth into the villages preaching the Word of God, gathering churches around the, the teaching of the Scripture. This became a hallmark of the Reformation. Mm. Uh were there differences between the, the magisterial uh, Reformation and the radical Reformation in, in terms of preaching? Good question. In approach or style or what? Yeah. What, were there differences, if any? Preaching was common to both the main line with magisterial Reformation, but also to the radical, the, particularly the Anabaptist movement. Uh, the biggest difference was the Anabaptists were not supported by the state. You know, they were a part of what we might call the free church movement in that they really, in principle, did not think the state should be uh, supporting preachers, paying preachers, as was the case in the mainline Reformation. So the Anabaptists preached really out of a sense of compulsion, and, and they went into the out-of-the-way places, uh, you know, the back lanes, sometimes in the hulls of ships. Uh, they would hold forth the Word of God to little flocks who would gather to hear them. And so, in some ways, the Radical Reformation may have been more intense with a greater sense of urgency, and let me use a big fancy word on this podcast, apocalyptic. Uh, they believed Jesus was coming back again, and preaching was a part of the way to prepare the people of God for the return of Christ. All those were marks, hallmarks, I would say, of preaching in the Radical Reformation. Uh, you know, there's huge diversity among the Radical Reformers. The group probably that we would identify more closely with are the evangelical Anabaptists, those who really hold, held to the Scripture, who felt God calling them to gather the flock under the discipline of the Word, 
those people in some ways uh, are very close, I think, to what became later the Baptist movement and other free church movements in church history. Dr. George, are, are there certain convictions that the Reformers had that you, you think modern preachers would do well to go to school on? God. I mean, I'd start with God. Uh, their, their preaching was not human-centered. It was not anthropocentric. Uh, they wanted to tell people to lift up your hearts and lift up your heads and lift up your eyes to the great transcendent God of heaven and earth. Along with that, this great almighty God is the God who has become one of us, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, St. Paul says, a baby in a manger, a man on a cross. It was not only theocentric, it was Christocentric. Their preaching was characterized by these two great movements, that God has come among us as one of us. He invites us. He calls us. And so there was an evangelistic thrust in their preaching. It was very, very important. Of, let, let's say that one of our pastors listening out there today said, you know, I, I need to, it's been a while since I studied the Reformation in seminary, or, well, maybe I do, I'm not as well read up on the Reformation as I need to be, and, and Dr. George has got my attention this morning. What are some resources that you would recommend that would help uh, pastors and people who would like to have a deeper understanding of the Reformation? Well, at the risk completely of blowing any pretense of humility that I have, <laughs> I would like to say I've written two books that might be helpful along those lines. I would be disappointed if you did not mention them. They're excellent. Go ahead and give One us One of them names. is called Theology of the Reformers. It's been translated into a number of languages, used often as a textbook in college or seminary. But another book that focuses a little bit more on your question is called Reading Scripture with the Reformers. And it, it really was intended to be a kind of introduction to a series for which I serve as general editor called the Reformation Commentary on Scripture. And this is a 28-volume series that goes through the entire canon, Old and New Testament, and we draw out excerpts on preaching these books of the Bible from all of the great reformers. I mean, it's not only the main line, but also the radical reformers, not only the well-known, but the more obscure. We bring them together in this series, and so it's a great resource for preachers and teachers who want to incorporate the insights of the Reformation and maybe can't read Latin. A lot of this stuff has not been translated, believe it or not until our day. So we're translating new material, and we're making that available in what you might say a user-friendly kind of format for pastors and teachers. Now, those are two books. Beyond that, I would say focus on some of the great works on preaching of the period. And there are histories of preaching that have been written that cover the Reformation very well. One of the great, I think, uh, scholars in the most recent generation was a man named Hughes Oliphant Old, O-L-D, and he wrote, I think it's a four or five volumes set on the history of preaching, including the Reformation. I'd recommend that one. We've been talking about preaching and the Reformation. Our guest today has been Dr. Timothy George from the Beeson Divinity School. Dr. George, thank you so much for being with us today. It's an honor to talk to you.